1: How can you not be romantic about football? How can you not love the chaos and the unpredictability? Hello there. Welcome to the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman and I'm on one. How could you not be? What did you think? Did you think week 14 was just going to go with a whimper? You saw these boring looking games on the schedule. Dolphins heavy favorites against Tennessee. New York Giants, home underdog to the Green Bay Packers. You say, "Ah, I'm going to get ahead on work. I'm going to do some Christmas shopping. I'm going to do something crazy like spend time with my family. I wouldn't blame you if you did. That's what I tried to do. And all hell broke loose. One of the most fun Monday nights of the season. Maybe the most fun Monday night of the season. The Miami Dolphins, shocked at home by the Tennessee Titans. They lose 28-27. And the New York Giants, led by Tommy Cutlets, Tommy DeVito, they beat the Green Bay Packers 24-22. That's off the jump. That We got a loaded show. We'll get into both of these games. We got injury news, updates from around the NFL. We'll get into the power rankings. But yes, yes, this is where we're going to start. It's exciting stuff. Did you see the stat on your TV down in Miami? That NFL teams trailing by 14 points in the final three minutes of the game had lost 767 straight. Who even keeps track of this stuff? Last time a team blew a 14 point lead with such little time to play, got to go all the way back to the Houston Texans beating the Indianapolis Colts in 2016. It had been seven years. But Will Levis and the Tennessee Titans get it done. Will Levis said, Probably our last national TV game of the year. I hope you like what you saw, America. I did, Will. I really did, man. I'm I'm on cloud nine. I'll be honest. I went into Monday night thinking like, ho hum, we'll talk, we'll talk about some boring games and then we'll get into the news. But simultaneous bangers happening on the simulcast there. All right. We'll get into the Titan side of this because fortuitously, we had already planned to talk to our guy. Ben Arthur, Fox Sports AFC South reporter. Already planned to talk to him, so we'll bring him in in a minute to talk about the Titans as well as the rest of that division, but let's start on the shocking end of this in this first game. Dolphins fall 28-27 in a game that they had total control of. Sending the AFC playoff race, if it wasn't already crazy enough, we send it into upheaval. If you're a Baltimore Ravens fan, you are partying today. The Ravens now control their destiny as the AFC's top seed. Plenty, plenty of work left to do for them, obviously. So many tough teams left on the Ravens' schedule. But they now stand alone as the only 10-win team in the AFC because the Dolphins, three minutes away from grabbing the top seed back from Baltimore, they let slip of this one. And I think the focus for Miami is going to be, oh, man, maybe Tyreek Hill should be, the NFL MVP. He twists his ankle in the first half of this game. Doesn't look likely to return. Except the Dolphins' offense looked damn near toothless without him. He comes back after halftime. The Dolphins rally. They go up 27 to 13. All looks like it's right in the world. Everybody's saying, see, this is all the evidence you need that Tyree Kill is your MVP. Tua Tungavailoa looks completely hopeless without him. That's all well and good. And not knocking Tyreek Hill because I really do think his MVP candidacy is valid. I think it's a conversation worth having. Even missing a chunk of the game with injury, he still had four catches for 61 yards. It's a pretty damn good game for most receivers in the NFL, just not the guy that's pushing to get to 2,000 yards for the first time in history. But focus less on Tyreek Hill. The interesting thing for me here is the offensive line that the Miami Dolphins were working with against a smash-mouth Tennessee defense. Left tackle Teron Armstead, right guard Robert Hunt were inactive for this game in the first place. So you're already behind the eight ball from an offensive line perspective. Center Connor Williams also exits the game midway through. Call it an excuse if you want to, but more so than the problem of not having Tyree Kill The Dolphins are not going anywhere without a healthy offensive line. This isn't the first time this has been a problem either. If you go all the way back to that loss against Philadelphia Sunday night football five lifetimes ago, whenever that was, they were banged up then. They couldn't generate any consistent offense. They scored 17 points. That's nothing for these guys. Dolphins score 27. They have some success in the second half after Tyreek Hill comes back. I would just like to point out those scoring drives, two plays, seven yards, two plays, 12 yards, come about after muffed punts, egregious errors by the Tennessee Titans. A, f- a fumble later on sets them up inside the red zone. So it's not as if Tyree Hill comes back and it's a cure-all for the offense. They were having a hard time moving the ball with him and without him because that offensive line is so banged up. So if I'm doing my math correctly, and I think that I am, Two touchdowns in the second half on drives that the Titans just hand to them right outside the end zone. And remember, Zach Sealer got this whole thing started and it looked like it was going to be a Miami route because he picked sixes Will Levis off to the races, seven nothing. So a defensive touchdown, two turnovers lead to easy scores. Don't let the 27 points fool you. Don't let them scoring when Tyreek Hill returns fool you either. I think they would have been in for a long night, even if he had been fully healthy. Not very many NFL teams are going to overcome a banged-up offensive line, and it certainly doesn't look like it's going to be the Miami Dolphins. I think for better or fair fair or not, I think Tyreek Hill's MVP candidacy is now on the brink. I think it, it, it's going to be tough sledding for him to keep that thing going after this, just from a pure production standpoint. And sorry, whatever case Tua Tungavailoa had, to be in that conversation. I think that ended tonight as well. Not not all his fault. Obviously, again, everybody needs an offensive line, but it's tough sledding when you're as banged up as the Dolphins are. They are now comfortably slotted in to the two seed, just ahead of the Chiefs and the Jags at nine and four. No reason to panic. No reason to panic at all. Assuming you can get some of these guys back, we'll see how severe those injuries are, but it doesn't get easier for the Dolphins. I mentioned the Ravens. Two. Dolphins from here go against a nasty Jets defense. Then it's the Cowboys, Ravens, and Bills to end the season. They're going to earn everything they get from here on out. We'll see how they respond to it. But just a a shocking collapse. Looked like they had done enough to fight their way into the one seed. And now they're down looking up at Baltimore and saying, we got to get some guys healthy if we're going to weather this storm here in December. Okay. A lot of words about the team that let it slip away. Let's talk a little bit about one of the more fun, pleasant surprises of the last few weeks, the Tennessee Titans. National TV. Go down to Miami and get a win. Who better to talk to than the guy that covers them, that covers the AFC South for us at Fox Sports. Ben Arthur joins me now, talking Titans. Not just that, though, the, the very contentious AFC South which is right there in the thick of the playoff picture. Ben, I'm going to be brutally honest. I knew we were having you on to talk some AFC South on this show. Did not expect to lead things off with the Tennessee Titans. Damn sure didn't expect to lead things off with the Titans when they were trailing 27-13 to 13 with less than five minutes to play down in Miami. Um, we know how this goes. Just when you think you've got your story ready to go, Everything kind of goes up in smoke. What I mean, what are in the moment your immediate reactions to the Titans pulling off a, a really literal miracle comeback?
2: Yeah, Dave. There, there's so much to this. I, I think number one. I mean, Will Levis is really a guy, right? Like I, I think the things he overcame in, in this game, like the the early pick six, which was bad. I, I mean, the the D tackle. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. He he made a nice play, but but it was a really uh, bad moment, bad play for him. And then the the bad pitch to Derek Henry, which also led uh, to to a turnover. Um, but man, he has guts. He he's fiery. Love love his energy, his passion, his emotion, and and the resilience. I, I mean, despite kind of the things that went wrong for him and the pressure he was facing, which he's really faced his entire time as a titan starter to this point but holding firm in there uh to to lead this kind of win uh to to, to have the kind of guts he had throwing over th- for, for over 300 yards in his first uh monday night football game uh with a national audience watching uh, i think that's one thing that stands out to me number two i mean J. hopkins is still an elite wide receiver. He's been doing it for for the Titans all season. We know how bad they've been, but but he's really been consistent for them and 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 uh, number one option for Will Levis. I, I mean, we've seen their connection uh, continue to grow, and, and so I, I think that's uh, something off the top of my head as well. And and the Titans' defense made some really really timely. Awesome plays. I, I think most notably in the red zone throughout the entire game. I um what the, the Dolphins started like 0-3 uh in, in the red zone. I want to say 0-3 or 0-4. Uh just some some really big plays inside the 10, inside the five. Um man, what what a gutsy win uh f- for the Titans. This was a dog fight. Uh this is a game that we had known Mike Vrabel teams to have won in in previous years over the past year. or So everything has, has gone really bad. And so that they hadn't maybe been this team recently, but, but the way they won today, it kind of reminded me of like the Titans of 2021 and, uh, and, and and prior to that, when, when they would just grind out these wins and pull out comeback victories. And so those are some of my immediate thoughts of, uh, of a game I'm still kind of wrapping my head around. Yeah, I mean, trust me, when you
1: see the stat that it had been 760 games since somebody blew a two-score or a 14-point lead in the final three minutes, yeah, that's going to take some time to uh, to wrap your head around. I get it. I don't – I am going to say this. I mean, I think it's 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 a little late in the season for this to be – a, a springboard, I think. I still imagine the Titans are on the outside looking in of any kind of playoff picture. But when you think of what they've seen from Will Levis, you know this—this this is his third win since he took over as the Titans' starting quarterback, and and we've seen flashes like this on a pretty consistent basis. All things considered, for a team that's that's well below 500, still. There's got to be a decent amount of excitement in Nashville about what they've seen from this kid so
2: far this season. Yeah, there has to be. I mean, and I'm I'm in Nashville, and I think I kind of see it. I I feel it. It hasn't all been perfect, and and we know some of the issues that he has had. I mean, and and more so like with what's been going on around him with the offensive line. I mean, the the pressure rate that the Titans have been allowing is one of the highest in the league. They've had wide receiver issues. Traylon Burks, a, a, a former first-round pick uh, for for them last year, he hasn't been available, and, and when he has played, hasn't lived to expect lived up to expectations. And, and then the defense, uh, which is supposed to be sort of the backbone of this team, hasn't really played to its standard all year. And and time and time again, we see Will Levis, at, kind of at times like transcending like these issues around him, whether it's uh, gutting it out in the pocket, taking these big hits. I mean, we saw the throw today where he really threaded a ball between three defenders uh, to get it to DeAndre Hopkins just as he was getting drilled, which uh, set up a, a field goal. I think it was in the, in the first half, if I'm not uh, mistaken. Um, but, but as I said, Dave, I mean, this kid has, has a lot of guts and. And I think you're seeing a lot of those franchise quarterback attributes. The numbers haven't always been pretty. I mean, the completion rate hasn't necessarily been great. He had those turnovers today, as I said, and um, it hasn't been all good for for the Titans uh, offensively. Well, for for in all aspects of the game. But but I think we've seen in in every game we've seen moments where it's like, okay, the, the Titans really have a guy. To build around this offseason and knowing that they're they're going into this offseason uh, with a lot of cap space and, and, and some draft capital and, and and really to kind of craft this team around him. I think you're if you're a Titans fan, you have to be really excited uh, about what this future can be as Will Levis continues to grow. We have to remember that this is just his seventh game. I mean, he's only going to continue to grow. And, and as they get more help around him, I, I think we could uh, continue to see him improve.
1: Ironically, the Titans in last place in the division, the only AFC South team that had some had some fun in week 14. The other three teams all lose. I want to hit on a couple of them. I will, we'll start at the top of the standings. I guess Jacksonville picked a good week to lose a second straight game considering they didn't lose any ground in the division. One thing in particular I, I want to make sure we hit on, Trevor Lawrence obviously played with that ankle injury. But it sure seemed like the Browns did a great job of pressuring him, of getting to him. How do you see that injury affecting him, even if he plays as the as the Jags try to right the ship here? Yeah, I, I think
2: even in that game, Dave, I, I don't I really don't think it was Trevor's like lack of mobility or the, the fact that he was hurting that hurt them. I, I think it was really the loss of Christian Kirk which I think needs to be talked about more. I mean, he's their leading receiver, kind of their Trevor's go-to guy on third down. Uh, he he's out obviously for for at least four weeks, maybe more, maybe out for the season with this core muscle injury. and and we just saw so many instances in that Cleveland game where Trevor was just out of sync uh, with his receivers. I think most notably Calvin Ridley, who's been very up and down all season. Uh, We saw Trevor, the the frustration on Trevor Lawrence's face uh, a a number of times in that game. And so I I think that that, that's that's something something to watch. I mean, we haven't seen their run game really play to what we expected it to be this year with Travis Etienne. And with knowing that you're not going to have Christian Kirk, like how is Calvin Ridley, Zay Jones, Evan Ingram, those guys going to elevate to, to kind of make up for that, because I think that's going to be one of the biggest concerns, question marks for this Jags team moving forward. Uh, and so, yeah, so so I think offensively, that's probably the biggest thing is like, how are they going to make up for, for the loss of Christian Kirk? Because if you watch the game, I mean, it it didn't really, uh, Trevor Lawrence took a beating. I I believe the Browns had like 12 quarterback hits, Yeah. but from watching that game, it it really wasn't Trevor's lack of mobility that hurt them. It was the miscommunication and and the drops and and missing Christian Kirk in like those third down situations. I, I think that hurt them the most.
1: I think that's, it's a really good point. And for a guy that twisted his ankle six days prior, Trevor moved around fairly well, but it is interesting to see how they will adapt to that, and and you're right. I mean, losing Christian Kirk, it's an underrated aspect uh, of of what is in front of the Jaguars. I do just I wonder if the Browns' success doing it leads to other teams to to follow that. I maybe it's because I know who is up next on the Jaguars' schedule with a Ravens team that loves to try to get after the quarterback. What do you think?
2: Yeah, no, it's it's going to be uh, something to watch for sure. And and I didn't mention this, but like the Jaguars' O line, they've had a lot of issues too. I mean, they they were uh, down. Uh, they got down to their fourth string left tackle. Uh, I mean, Cam Robinson was their guy, and entering the season, and then he's he's on IR. And then it was Walker Little. Uh, who was hurt for the game inactive, and then they had Ezra Cleveland in there, but then he got hurt, and then they were down to uh, a guy named Blake Hance, uh, and and then you're facing a Ravens team that uh, can can get after quarterbacks. And uh, on the other side, you have, from the Jags' perspective, right tackle Anton Harrison. He's a rookie. He's played really well at times this season, um, but – when when O line injuries add up i mean it it always becomes a concern for your quarterback and especially considering that most likely trevor is going to continue to be somewhat limited for for the foreseeable future he's a guy who's able to move around is used to being able to move around pretty well but but he's maybe not what he is typically physically and, and then you have all these offensive line injuries that that you're worried about plus facing a Ravens defensive front that could really get after you uh, that, that they blitz at a high rate too. So uh, from a communication standpoint, is the O line going to be in sync from the Jaguars perspective? So all those things are uh, thing c- concern areas. I think as you kind of enter this new uh, new week, next week, concern
1: areas feels like a trend for almost the entire division, obviously <laughs> let's not going to speculate too much on CJ Stroud being in the concussion protocol. Obviously when he clears it, he clears it. We'll see where it goes. You can't really put a timeline on that, but even when CJ Stroud is back, you see Nico Collins leaves this game against the New York jets with a calf injury. We know they've already lost tank Dell for the season. Dalton Schultz is dealing with a hamstring. Noah Brown's back, but he's been in and out of the lineup as well. Assuming C.J. Stroud is, is back in relatively short order, do you start to get worried that even when he is there, the Texans are running out of options on their offense?
2: Yeah, I, I am kind of very concerned. I mean, we're going to have to wait to see like how serious exactly this groin injury is uh, for Nico Collins, but, but we saw it, just how Texans... Receivers, these pass catchers, just weren't able to get open in, timely, in a timely manner. Uh, they, they weren't getting separation. CJ had to hold the ball uh, longer. Uh, he was pressured on over, uh, I don't remember the exact number, but pressure, pressured on over 40% of his dropbacks for just the fourth time this season. Um, and, and so you think about, yeah, I, I mean, the, this Texans team, their their biggest strength is that pass attack that's why they've been in the position they are as a resurgent team a a team in the in the playoff hunt is because of how good their uh passing attack particularly their deep passing game like entering week 14 they led the nfl in um what is it receptions of 20 plus yards by by a pretty big margin and Tank Dell and Nico Collins account for over fifty percent of that by themselves. And so, when you don't have those guys, it, it, it you recalibrate everything offensively if you're the Texans. And then, as you said, uh, Noah Brown kind of hasn't delivered. I, I mean, he 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 had that hot streak before suffering. A, a knee injury, like over 320 receiving yards in a two-game stretch. In the two games since returning from that knee injury, he has zero catches on seven targets. And then you add the fact that Dalton Schultz has missed consecutive games with a hamstring injury. Robert Woods hasn't given them a whole lot for a while now. And so it really becomes a concern now. And then, like I said, CJ, when he whenever he does come back, I mean, you think about him having to possibly hold the ball longer. It just impacts everything. And then as we've talked about at length uh, on the show, Dave, it is how the the Texans' run game has been so inconsistent. And then on top of the CJ injury and the Nico Collins injury, they had a lot of – they had a number of defensive guys get hurt. And and their defense has already kind of been up and down. They've been getting better as the season has worn on. But, but now they have some injuries on that side of the ball to deal with. So it just kind of seems to uh, – it seems to be going wrong for for, for the Texans at at the wrong time, just with all these injuries. So, um, so yeah, of these kind of contenders in the AFC South um, the the Texans are definitely the, maybe the one I'm maybe most concerned about just because we know what their biggest strength is with with that passing game. And now I'm like, I have very serious concerns about that at this point in time.
1: I'm right there with you. And okay, let's, Last but not least, we can't leave out the Colts. They are currently a playoff team. And, and you're right. I mean, the, the Texans injuries make you question a lot of things just because they don't have the horses to do what they're good at doing. But I just have a really simple question for you because I think the Colts are just a team that I can't figure out in terms of like, what what's their identity? How are they going to win games, win enough games to keep it rolling and make the postseason they got past Tennessee in one of the flukiest games you're ever going to see. And then they get crushed by the Bengals this week. Do you, if you can't answer it, that's fine. But I would love to know if what you think the Colts need to do. What can they lean on if they are going to pull this off and and
2: sneak into the postseason? Yeah, I, I really think, first of all, they need Jonathan Taylor back. I mean, we, we had talked like the, the run game had been a strength of this team. Like we, we saw what Zach Moss was able to do before Jonathan Taylor started playing the season, right? He, he began the year on, on a uh, PUP and then Jonathan Taylor got in the mix. And then all of a sudden they had this awesome tandem. And, and now Jonathan Taylor is out again, dealing with a thumb injury and, and the, the Colts haven't been able to get that run game going as we, uh, saw earlier in, in the season, and so uh, that that's a really big concern for them because we know how limited Gardner Minshew uh, can be. A, a lot of ups and downs with him. We, we've seen games where he's had a, a lot of turnovers. He's not the kind of quarterback that you can put put the game on his shoulders, and, and you really need the the run game to to support him. Uh, to to support. Uh, those like play action opportunities to Alec Pierce or Michael Pittman Jr or whatever uh to to kind of help everything help, help the whole machine run smoother and so uh honestly, I, I think w- with the Colts is just kind of hoping that Jonathan Taylor can can get back and and uh r- really make a, a difference uh for this team j- just offensively. I mean defensively the, the Colts, they, they've had secondary issues all season. We know what their their uh, defensive front is capable of, what their pass rush in particular has been capable of, but, but they are kind of limited defensively just because of uh, like the cornerback play and whatnot. And so th- these Colts have to win in a very specific way. Uh, if, if that kind of makes sense, like they really need the run game humming and that defensive front wreaking havoc to win games. And if they don't have one of those two things, it it becomes very, very hard for them to do anything because they are very limited at the quarterback position in particular. And so um, I think getting, hoping to get Jonathan Taylor back at some point, and and at this point, it's unclear when exactly, when exactly he'll come back from the thumb injury he's dealing with. Um, But I I think for them, he becomes really key in, in what's, what's what continues to be a really tight AFC race down the stretch. So
1: the Colts have a specific way to win one specific way. That is, that's the perfect snapshot for them. I think looks like everybody in this division, I mean, still it's all out there for them, but everybody kind of going through it at the same time here. So we'll see who uh, responds to this adversity the best. And Ben, I promise we will, uh, we will be back to check in with you about, who, uh, who, who seizes this opportunity the best. But as always, man, I really appreciate it.
2: No problem, Dave. Thanks for having me.
0: Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more. Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real Steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
1: Let's take you behind the scenes of how this all plays out. You know, we we watch the games, we take notes on what happens, we share interesting stats and thoughts as we get ready to talk about these games, and I missed a lot of what was happening in Miami that dolphins collapsed because I was so fixated on the other dramatic finish that happened on Monday night, the New York giants knocking off the red hot green Bay Packers. The Packers were on a heater three game winning streak that Tommy DeVito and the giants end in a 24 to 22 upset. Like I said, they were six and a half point underdogs in their own building in front of Tommy DeVito's family? Absolutely not. Forget about it. I, I could go all night, all day with, with the Tommy DeVito puns. I'll try to tone it down. But would you believe me if I said the only teams in the NFL that have longer winning streaks than the New York Giants at three are the 49ers and the Cowboys? That's That's the type of turnaround we're talking about with New York. I would love to get up here and say, Don't write the Giants out of the playoff race. I'm disappointed to share that even even with this win streak, the Giants sit at just about a 2% chance of making the playoffs, according to the New York Times. So, not sure about that, but they do have two games coming up against their division rival, the Philadelphia Eagles. They also play the LA Rams and the New Orleans Saints. All of those teams have various degrees of playoff aspiration. The Giants look like a a team that could become a hell of a spoiler, just a a headache of a team that you don't want to play as the Green Bay Packers found out. Looked like Green Bay was going to get out of this with a a shaky win. They took the lead in the dying moments. They score with a minute 33 to play. Jordan Love rallying the troops. Just, Just a weird game, weird turnovers, weird plays. But they score with a minute and a half to play. And actually, I'm watching it saying, Guys, it's just an end around to Jaden Reed. How does this guy keep getting all of this room to run on such a basic play? Lo and behold, the Giants stuff him on the two-point conversion attempt that would have put Green Bay up by three points with a minute and a half to play. They stuff it, so it's just a one-point game. Leaves the door open for Tommy Cutlets to go down and do his thing. It's exactly what he does. Eight plays, 57 yards in the final minute and a half. The backbreaker was just a gorgeous ball on an over route. Finds Wandale Robinson. How about Wandale Robinson? A phenomenal performance, and it always always seems like it carries more weight on a national stage. Career high in total yards, 115 all-purpose. Also had a really nice run, speaking of end rounds. Not a bad night when you have your best career performance, career yardage on Monday night football to beat a playoff team. Hits him on the over route for 32 yards there in the dying seconds. Giants run out the clock. The field goal from Randy Bullock is good. It's just an awesome story. Tommy DeVito, 17 of 21. The totals aren't going to be amazing. 158 yards, one touchdown. Also picked up 71 yards on the ground. Lamar Jackson, eat your heart out. Lamar threw for 300 the other day. I get it. But still, incredibly gutsy performance. Picked up key yards when he needed to. Saquon Barkley overcame a strange fumble. Guys touched the ball 1,413 times in his NFL career on Monday night. Just hit the third fumble in all of those touches and was barely touched as well. Turf Monster got him. Every time I looked up at the TV in this one, it seemed like something weird was happening happening, and nothing weirder than the New York Giants coming out on top of it. Puts a little bit of a damper on the Green Bay Packers feel-good story. They were the hot team. They were the spoiler that nobody wanted to play. They had won three straight, including beating the Detroit Lions and the Kansas City Chiefs. And now, instead of riding that momentum, they are just one of five NFC teams sitting one game below 500, very much in the middle of that messy jumble their chance of making the playoffs took a staggering 30-point hit with this loss. It would have been 76% if they managed to hang on for the win. It's down at 42% now. Fortunately for Green Bay, the rest of the schedule looks very manageable, but that's the fun thing about having a young team that's never done this before. The Giants was a manageable game as well, and now they're on their way back to Green Bay, coming off of a loss sitting below five hundred. Sure there are plenty of games they can bounce back in but you got to avoid some of the mistakes we saw in this game turnovers special teams turnovers missed field goals the types of things that cost you in slim margin games which i'm going to go ahead and guess we're going to see a few more of those for the packers this season playing a playoff contender division leader in the tampa bay bucks next week they've still got another game against the Vikings, who are currently a playoff team, and a surging Bears team that I'm going to guess gives them a hell of a lot better effort than we saw all the way back in the season opener. So similar to what I said about the Dolphins, maybe not time to panic, but I just don't think you can take anything for granted if you're the Green Bay Packers, and losing as a six-point road favorite just reminded us of that. All right, we've made it through the madness of the Monday night games. Let's move on to the news but that first bit is tied to monday night with the green bay packers loss to new york the san francisco 49ers are the first team this season to clinch a playoff spot the niners needed a loss by either minnesota or green bay to clinch that thing up mathematically packers lose to the giants and it's done with a month left to play the 49ers are guaranteed a playoff game of some sort now i mean that that's that's obviously cool it, it's a a sign of how dominant they've been, a sign of how successful they've been. You can't get to a Super Bowl until you lock up a playoff spot. But given the way this thing has gone for the 49ers, this this feels like a footnote. There are loftier aspirations here. San Francisco, currently the NFC's number one seed. They move into the top spot with Philadelphia's loss to Dallas. Oh, by the way, as we've mentioned, they have crushed both Philadelphia and Dallas this season. They have crushed all comers. Since they've finished that three-game losing streak heading into their bye week, they come back, they get everybody healthy, Debo and Trent Williams back doing their thing. They beat the AFC South-leading Jacksonville Jaguars by 30. They beat the NFC South-leading Tampa Bay Buccaneers by 13. They've annihilated one of their biggest division competitors, the Seattle Seahawks, twice. And that big beatdown of Philadelphia sandwiched right in there Against the best type of competition, they have rolled over all comers. There are three losses coming when they were missing two of their best players. Health is going to be a big part of it, but San Francisco looks like the team to beat in the NFL. I don't think they're going to be satisfied with anything less than the top seed in the NFC, but locking up the playoffs with a month still to play, not too bad. To the surprise of absolutely no one, if you watched that game, the Controversy over the offsides flag on Kadarius Toney continued to be the hottest topic, the most widely discussed topic in the NFL on Monday. The NFL plans to review the comments made by Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid in the aftermath of that decision. Can't say that that's terribly surprising. The NFL finds coaches and players when they say the slightest critical thing about officiating. That is why you get so many no comments about referees decisions because guys don't want to lose money over being frustrated. So the face of the league had to be restrained from getting in a ref's face on the sideline and his head coach called it embarrassing that the league flagged Kadarius Toney on that play. Yeah, I would say that's going to get looked at. For his part, Patrick Mahomes said on Monday that he regretted the way he acted afterward particularly when the cameras caught him complaining to Josh Allen at midfield. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, Josh Allen just got a big win. I'm sure they're buddies when they're not competing against each other. Not a great look to be complaining about how things played out, not saying good game, not any of that stuff. So I hear Patrick Mahomes on that front. Andy Reid also talked to reporters on Monday. He did confirm that Tony did not confirm his alignment with the refs. If you're looking here, I mean, Goodness gracious, Kadarius, you are, you are even with the center, my guy. Said Kadarius did not confirm his alignment. If you've seen the viral videos going around from field level, you see Kadarius check where he is, but never confirm with the referee that he is in an onside position. Andy Reid said, you know, they, they've got to be better at doing that type of stuff. But more importantly, in my opinion, he said he's not going to give up on Kadarius Tony, which I'm sure is a a very popular sentiment in the Kansas city area as Tony just adds to a laundry list of game changing mistakes. Remember he had the bobble that led to a pick six against Detroit. Now this one just hasn't been a very good season for the guy. That is what I think is worth focusing on though, because at at the end of the day, I mean, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid can afford the fine that they're probably going to get and debating about the decision. Isn't going to change anything. The Chiefs need to figure out what to do about their passing game specifically. And yeah, I, as frustrating as it might be, I don't think giving up on one of the most talented members of your receiver core is the answer, particularly considering this is a team-wide problem and has been all season long. Per sports radar, the Chiefs lead the league in drops with 34 Gary's Tony's only responsible for three of those. Two of them happened in the season opener. For all the flashes he's shown, rookie Rasheed Rice actually fourth in the league and drops with eight of them. We've seen Marquez Valdez-Scantling have his share. Him and Tony have combined for five. Obviously, one of MVS's is going to be very memorable because it cost the Chiefs a big, big, play against Philadelphia a few weeks ago. Tony and MVS have been flagged a combined three times on the year. Get this, Kadarius Tony's flag for offensive offsides was his first of the season. not trying to absolve the guy of blame. It's one of the most boneheaded sequences in the NFL this season. But there's a lot more at work here than Kadarius Tony single-handedly costing the Chiefs offense yards and points. Patrick Mahomes leads the league in drop percentage, 6.9% of his pass attempts have been dropped this season over the last 2 years so even going back to last year when they won the Super Bowl for the last 2 seasons second most drops of any team in the NFL this has honestly been a problem for quite some time not saying i'm confident this is going to happen but i think you're better off hoping kadarius tony can give you a lift in the long run than giving up on him but i will say it's got to be so disappointing for the Kansas City Chiefs that a guy they traded a third-round pick to New York for is getting 25% of the snaps so far this season. He's averaging three targets per game. I don't know if we've seen anything that leads you to believe he should get more, but this is what the Chiefs have. Like, the the reinforcements aren't coming this season. Maybe you use some draft capital or find some spare change to do something about it in the offseason, but for the time being, This group is this group. I think the Chiefs have been banking for a while that Rice is going to be that guy that continues his upward trajectory. This is a mouthful. His upward trajectory. At the same time, he is a rookie. You're going to need somebody else to lean on. Maybe it's not going to be Kadarius Toney on a week-after-week basis, but as we saw in the Super Bowl last year, he's got the game-changing athleticism that can turn a game on his head punt return in the Super Bowl makes that trade worthwhile, even if everything that's happened since is a total disaster. I hope it doesn't sound like I'm defending Kadarius Toney too much because it was a potentially game-losing mistake and one that didn't need to happen, regardless of the fact that Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid would rather blame the referees. Although, maybe that's the point of this. Maybe by turning this into an officiating controversy, you take the heat, off of a receiver room that's already feeling plenty of it. I'm no expert motivator, but I don't know how much dogging these guys even further when they've already been the subject of so much frustration in Kansas City. I don't know how much good that's going to do. So stick with these guys. A lot of football left to play. I don't blame the Chiefs for thinking that in the long run, somebody here is going to pick up their play. It's a fairly favorable schedule down the home stretch. I'm going to I'm going to buy some stock in the Kansas City offense before things are said and done. Maybe it's not Kadarius Tony, but somebody somewhere in that building is going to step up and help Patrick Mahomes out. Several big injury updates to get to coming out of Sunday for starters. Chargers quarterback Justin Herbert expected to undergo surgery Tuesday, today depending on when you're listening to this. Whether or not he can return this season supposedly will be determined by the surgery, by what they see once that's all taken care of. Wishing the best for Justin Herbert, but if the season wasn't already over for the Chargers, it sure feels like it is now. It's bad enough that, it, that the injury requires surgery. Chargers are on a short week. They play the Raiders on Thursday night. He's not going to be available for that game, and again, depending on... How surgery goes, he might not be available for the three remaining after that. I guess the Chargers do get the long weekend that goes with playing on a Thursday night. But after that weekend off, they go Bills, Broncos, Chiefs to wrap this thing up. Even if Herbert's available for one or more of those games, how optimistic do you feel? They haven't exactly looked great when he's been in the lineup the last few weeks. They haven't played a good football game, in my opinion, since week 10 the loss it was a loss to detroit i did, this this feels like it for the la chargers it's disappointing ending for a disappointing team wishing the best for justin herbert as somebody who enjoys watching him play it would be it would be fun if we get to watch him one more time this season but disappointing tidbit for for one of the more disappointing teams in the nfl we already talked about cj stroud with ben arthur earlier in the show but he is in concussion protocol for the Texans. Like I said with Ben, I think this, just wait and see. No no two head injuries are the same. Wishing the best for CJ. Hopefully he has a chance to play this week as the Texans try to rebound from that loss up in New York. We'll keep an eye on that. Nico Collins, no firm word on when he'll be available either. Already lost Tank Dell. Dalton Schultz is dealing with the hamstring injury. We talked about it earlier in the show, but the, the vibe's not exactly great around that Houston offense. Hopefully they get some good news on the CJ Stroud front soon. Up in Minnesota, we got a grand total of 13 snaps from Justin Jefferson in his return from a hamstring injury, 13 snaps, and then a chest injury sends him back to the sideline in the win against the Raiders. The Vikings are calling it day to day. Head coach Kevin O'Connell says he's optimistic that Jefferson will be available against Cincinnati this week. Remember, that is a Saturday game. Just putting that on your radar. We've got a Saturday triple header this week. So, A, short turnaround for Jefferson. Also, perhaps for your fantasy team, whatever. You got Saturday plans. Keep in mind, plenty of football on Saturday starting this weekend. More injury news. Tough one for the Baltimore Ravens. Safety Kyle Hamilton sprained his MCL in that win against the LA Rams. He's considered week to week which usually sounds like optimistic news but not when there's only 4 games left. Week to week is a bad thing when there's only a handful of weeks left in the season. Hamilton is blossoming into one of a he is a promising young safety in this league, one of the brightest young safeties playing right now. 69 tackles this season, 9 pass breakups, 9 tackles for loss, 2 interceptions. Had three sacks all in the same game way back against Indianapolis. Big, big piece of what Mike McDonald does there in Baltimore. So that's something to watch. And then last but not least, I mentioned Saturday games. Kenny Pickett already ruled out of the Steelers' Saturday night game against the Indianapolis Colts. So it'll be Gardner Minshew going against Mitchell Trubisky between the AFC's six and seven seeds. Get ready. Hope you're excited. All right, we're coming to the end of the show. We are moving on into week 15, but not before the most important part of the week. It's time for power rankings. You hate them. You love them. You love to say that you hate them. But every week, every week they do numbers, so I don't want to hear it. Everybody wants to know how the league hierarchy stands. I hate it. Can I tell you that? Can I tell you how much I hate making sense of this dumpster? fire of a league right now. Consider this friends consider where we stand as we pan out to look at everything in my last ranking in my last edition of the power rankings, the number four, six, seven, eight, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen 10, 11, 12, 13 teams all lost. It's a whole bunch of madness to try to sort out. It's a whole bunch of middling records to try to put on top of each other. We're going to focus on the upper half of the league right now because that's the easiest part to figure out, or easier, I should say. So with all due respect to everybody fighting down in the teens and the 20s, let's start at number 11, falling five spots from last week. They are one of my disappointments. The Detroit Lions taking the 11 spot, heading into week 15. We talked about it on Monday's show so we don't need to go too deep into it but how do you how do you ignore the bad vibes coming from the lions particularly on the defensive side of my of the ball in my opinion they just they can't get stops they don't look as as ferocious as they did earlier in the season the pass rush not doing what you'd prefer the secondary is banged up they've lost Two of their last three, they should have lost to the Chicago Bears one time. They did the second time. There's time to figure it out, and they are leading the division, but just not trending in the right direction. I've got them falling a whopping five spots. Even on a weekend when a lot of teams lost, start to feel like the Lions just aren't in that class with a lot of the other teams at the top of the league. Meanwhile, into the top ten at number eight, Jumping up seven spots, I've got the Cleveland Browns, and I, I get it. I get it. It's a large jump. This, this happens every week, but I mean, look, tell tell me what I'm supposed to do when the Lions are losing. The Texans not only get drubbed by New York, but they lose C.J. Stroud. The Jaguars are having a crisis. The Packers all those feel-good vibes put on hold by the loss in New York so yeah the Cleveland Browns with Joe Flacco playing very decently for a guy who was on the couch a month ago with good quarterback play, this is a formidable team. We know what the defense can do. they just needed a guy to step in and make enough plays and that is what Joe Flacco has been able to do. they're firmly entrenched in that five spot. eight feels high, but I feel I feel pretty good about it I feel Pretty solid that the Cleveland Browns are going to make the postseason, and if Joe Flacco is up to it, could be a really tough out. One spot above them, I had to put the Denver Broncos above the Browns. I know a lot's changed with the way Flacco's playing, but Denver just beat Cleveland pretty soundly not all that long ago. So I'm a big believer that head-to-head should matter within reason. I mean, it gets to a point where, you know things that happened in in September maybe don't matter so much, but this is a game that just took place. Denver beat Cleveland very convincingly. They did lose to Houston the week before, but that was at the buzzer. They have been playing much much better football. And the funny thing is, I'm not I'm not all the way sure how. Like the defense is better, but it's not amazing. But it gets enough stops to get the job done. Russell Wilson sometimes he's just throwing up prayers to Cortland Sutton. But it, it seems like it works more often than not. I don't know how sustainable this is, but you can't argue with the results. And in a in a situation where so many other teams are failing to get the job done, that hasn't been the case for Denver for most of the last two months. So got them up at number seven. All the way up at number five. Yes, you read that correctly. The Buffalo Bills up four spots. I know they're seven and six. I know. They're up against it to even make the playoffs, but you don't want to play these guys in the postseason if they make it. I know the turnovers have been an issue for Josh Allen. He's playing phenomenally this year. Nine touchdowns in his last three games. I think because of the problem with interceptions and because they're one game over 500, people are down on Josh Allen. Cool. Stay over on that side. This is a firmly pro-Josh space right here, and I think he's going to give them a chance to make some serious noise if he keeps this up. I don't know how the defense is going to do it. And and you would prefer that he cuts down on the turnovers, but I'll bet on number 17 up in Buffalo every single time. Yeah, the Bills, 7-6, and but fifth in the NFL power rankings. I'm fine with it. One spot above them, Philadelphia Eagles. I was all set to drop the Eagles further, honestly. They've gotten their doors blown off two weeks in a row. But then the Miami Dolphins go and lose to the Tennessee Titans. They throw everything into upheaval. And look, I know it's been bad for the Eagles over the last two weeks. They're still firmly one of the handful of best teams in the NFL. Don't don't get too wrapped up in the panic. There's still a month of football left to play. What the Eagles have accomplished this year still means something. And look, you can't drop them too far because right behind them are a Bills team and a Dolphins team that they've already beaten this season. Head-to-head does matter, particularly in the case of a Bills team that they just rallied to beat a couple weeks ago. So we're not pressing panic buttons here on the NFL on Fox podcast. It's been a rough couple of weeks for the Eagles, but lots and lots of opportunity for them to bounce back. The NFL's easiest schedule over the last month of the season. Let's wrap it up. I've got the Dallas Cowboys sitting at number two in my power rankings. I was, I was debating it. It feels harsh to jump them over the Ravens when the Ravens didn't lose, but overtime game, Ravens got everything they wanted from the LA Rams. Not to say that that's a bad win. The Rams are a good team, but Dallas just dismantled a 10-win Philadelphia team, held the offense without a touchdown for the first time in several years. Dak Prescott wasn't even that great, and the Cowboys still scored 33 points, just basically ground the Eagles into dust. It was... It was amazing just because it happened so gradually. Like, again, the Cowboys, there weren't any of these crazy explosive plays, no game-swinging interceptions. They just slowly pounded them into the dirt, which is impressive in all of its own way. So, no disrespect to the Ravens. They are leading the AFC. They are an elite NFL team, but I just think what the Cowboys did to the Eagles to cap off this incredible run that they've been on, yeah. Yeah. The only team above them is obviously San Francisco, who has beaten them soundly so far this season. I I can't wait to see where that goes. Hopefully, we get to see another rendition of Niners-Cowboys. But that brings us to the end of the power rankings. Niners, Cowboys, Ravens, Eagles, Bills. And then a whole heaping mess, a, 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 a who's who of teams hovering just around 500. Plenty of opportunity for it to all change. What a way to wrap up week 14. Hopefully week 15 is half as entertaining in its own weird way. I'm sure it will be. We will be here to break the whole thing down. We've got our previews coming up. Like I said, three Saturday night games this week. In addition to a Thursday nighter, we'll get you ready for the whole thing starting on Thursday. Until then, you can go find us on Spotify subscribe on Apple Podcasts, find our YouTube channel, wherever you get your NFL news, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us there. As always, y'all, I appreciate you so, so much. Until next time.